Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. What's up, y'all? It's your host, Will Cooper, coming back for another episode of the Hunt Stand Podcast. On today's episode, we're going to be talking mountain turkey hunting. Now, I know some of y'all might be scratching your heads a little bit whenever you hear that. I know I did myself, but specifically, we're going to be talking Colorado and chasing after some birds in the mountains, public land. Now, I know a lot of y'all, when you hear the word Colorado and it's in reference to hunting, you think elk mule deer, big game, and that's what you're solely focused on, and turkeys kind of take a backseat to that. So, we're going to be getting Jace Bowserman on here today to talk about that, how to do it, where to go to do it, what to look for, and there's going to be some other rabbit holes to go down, but we're going to get Jace on here to talk about that. So, if y'all have been tuning into the Hunt Stand podcast, we just want to say thank you. We greatly appreciate y'all's support. If you haven't yet, go on over, rate, review, subscribe. If y'all can do that, we really appreciate it. It greatly helps us out. Y'all have a lot of other podcasts out there to tune into. There's a ton out there. And so we just want to thank y'all for tuning into the Hunt Stand podcast. But nonetheless, here's Jace Bowserman. And we hope that y'all enjoy this episode and take something from this and go kill you a big time in the mountains. Jace, man, we just want to thank you for taking the time to hop on the podcast with us today. Oh man. Yeah, absolutely. I love it. Always love uh, talking turkeys and trying to get good, solid information out there to help people be more successful in the woods. And um, yeah, looking forward to talking turkeys, buddy. Love it, man. Love it. Well, one of the things I like to start out the podcast with is giving us the 30 foot tree stand view of who you are, you know, where are you from, where you live, what do you love about hunting the most and who got you into it? So let's dive into to Jace, man. Yeah, man. Um, so it's I guess, I wasn't born in a hunting family at all. Um, and so um, I just, uh, I spent a lot of time outdoors. We were always, um, you know, riding dirt bikes, that sort of thing. My dad was a motocross racer. And so we were always outside. And 
And I don't know, I just, I just started to really fall in love with being in the outdoors. I want to be out there more and more and more and started uh, actually reading a lot of different hunting magazines, things like that. And that was kind of my outlet. So, um, you know, I didn't really have it take me at the start to really show me the ropes, but uh, I got my hands on an old uh, 12 gauge shotgun uh, pump action um, Remington 870 is what it was. Um, and uh, my dad just, you know, he trusted me on my dirt bike. He knew that I was a, an accomplished rider and, and he's like, man, hey, those are your wheels if you want to go out and do it that way. So I had a had a sling on that on my shotgun and, and, and no duck or goose pheasant was safe. Um, and then I was really <laughs> fortunate you know, blessed to meet some cool people because I was always out there. Um, I was always out there hunting. And I think it just annoyed a lot of guys that were doing it right. You know what I mean? I mean, yeah. when I say doing it right doing it with decoys, you know, um, the, the, the way the way waterfowl should be hunted and things like that. And they kind of took me under their wing. And I think it was either take him under 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 our wing or, or watch him just, you know, continue to run ducks and geese off of fields and river bottoms and things like that. So I was really fortunate um, yeah. And then I just got into the big game hunting, um, really fell in love with archery and, um, I was shortly out of high school into college. I just, I wanted to write like the guys I, you know, saw and read magazines and things like that. So I started, started just submitting query letters just, you know, to, to different editors and things like that. And I'm super fortunate to meet some good ones, uh, solid guys like Dwight Shue, um, Bill Krenz, they, they, they just pointed me in the right direction and really helped um, help me kind of refine my craft as a writer. And, you know, here I am however many years later and uh, full-time freelance outdoor writer for just about anybody and everybody. I was the former editor of Bowhunting World Magazine. So been doing it a long time. And just my whole goal is just to help others be successful because if others hadn't helped me, man, there's just, there's no way that I would be doing what I'm, what I get to do now. So um, yeah, that's just kind of the roundabout about me sweet man i love it and it's uh, you know kind of just backtracking just a quick second you know it, it's pretty awesome that I, I think that's how the hunting community grows by us giving back you know what we've learned what was taught to us and then like you said yourself you like helping others out and just essentially passing the torch for later generations it, it, it is man and and you know we get <laughs> we get super protective you know we get super protective of our spots we get super protective of this or that or uh, you know, but, but at the end of the day, I mean, there's, there's so much, so much fighting against us as hunters and outdoorsmen right now. We, we just, we, we can't be, you know, we've got to be the solution and not the problem. We've got to be the light and, and not just, you know, go after each other. It's just, it, there's a lot of, there's a lot of things out there, but, uh, I just, yeah, I just try to keep a real positive outlook on things and just keep pushing forward every day, trying to be better. And, um, yeah, that's just kind of my whole goal. <laughs> that's all you got to do, man. That's all you got to do. But you got to kind of keep those little honey holes, you know, kind of secretive. And well, it, yeah. I, <laughs> yeah. And, you know, it's kind of funny. We're, we're talking Colorado here in a little bit and mountain birds and all that. It's funny that we're doing this because I've actually got my 2022 Colorado big game book in front of me because before we hopped on this call, I was actually put in my application for archery elk. So, uh, man, it's it's exciting. But let's dive into turkey hunting man i, w I want to specifically let's let's talk mm -hmm. turkey hunting public land in colorado yep. mountain birds you know yep where do you start i, I think that's kind of the that's, main thing yeah and it is and, and and here's the deal with 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 um killing mountain birds or, or, or killing canyon country birds you know there's two types of terrain in colorado where you can really hunt public land birds um for 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 uh, Merriam birds and, and we should probably talk about them both but yeah you know 
the hardest thing to killing a Miriam bird is finding them because you are not hunting, you know, a 60 acre timber block right. where those birds basically live all the time. You're, you're not hunting a, a, a river corridor, um, or, or things like that. You are hunting, you know, vast endless acres of public land. And so one of the easiest, one of the easiest ways to, to, to find birds, um, when you're hunting mountain terrain is this time of year right now, um, our season starts April 9th. And this time of year right now, what's happening is a lot of birds, um, winter flocks, you know, they, they move clear down off of the mountains and they'll move into mountain valleys and things like that. And they'll get in, um, private, private areas, mostly, you know, they'll get down on some, some private land, ag, hay fields, things like that, where guys are feeding their cows every day, uh, their mountain cattle, horses, whatever. But as those mountain slopes start to warm and that snow line starts to progress, those birds will follow that snow line up the mountain. And one of the biggest tips I can give is know where the snow line is, where you are going to hunt because those birds are going to be right below it. And I mean, when I say right below it, I mean at it or directly below it. Okay. And the reason for that is because there's bug life starting to starting to hatch in those, those areas. There's, there's bugs starting to, to, you know, fly around. And, 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 and in addition to that, you got your new shoots of green grass starting to come up. They can scratch for seeds, um, all, all of these different types of things. So it's, it's definitely a food driven thing, um, as they follow that snow line up the mountain. And then in addition to that, um, Miriam birds love like most turkeys, you know, they love big, long ridges. Um, they love flat ridges where they can, um, be up on top and roost in a very large, um, ponderosa pine if you can find a ridge with pondies on it big tall pondies and especially if that gives way to like a snow line mountain meadow or something along those lines mm -hmm. um you <laughs> you're probably you're probably in the chips uh ski slopes you know in colorado a lot of a lot of areas you can actually hunt in and around the ski the ski slopes and those ski slopes are just open meadow feeding zones so those type of things are, are great ways to find those mountain birds but it all really revol revolves around the snow line especially early in the season um later on those birds are going to spread out um and you know they're going to wander from one area to the next and miriams are are nomadic opportunistic wonders they have no problem walking miles and miles and miles and miles from one spot to the next just in search of hens because again wow these aren't condensed right they're not yeah. just into a small area a, a tom that's why Miriams often get labeled with you know they just come running to a call and they're stupid it's not that they're stupid and it's not that they come running to a call but sometimes this might be the only call that bird's ever heard and in addition to that they know that hey they're used to like man i'm just going walkabout and so when they hear a hen yelp from a very long distance they know, oh my gosh, there's one over there. I need to respond and, and, and get this party started because they might have been walking for a mile or two miles without even seeing a hen, especially, especially late, later in the season. Okay. So one of the things I want to ask, you know, with this being Colorado, you know, there's lots of public land. Are these tags over the counter or they draw? Mm -hmm. How does that work with Colorado and turkeys? You know, especially, uh, you know, somebody like me, it's a non-resident that might want to yeah. try and do a grand slam and they want to come to Colorado. How does that work? Right. 
Right. So, so here's the deal. So in, in most, in most units in Colorado, most your mountain and Canyon units, they are over the counter. Now, not all of them, but I would say upwards of 80% of them are. Okay. Now there's also draw tags in Colorado. The cool thing is, is if you do apply for a draw tag and a lot of your draw tags are the, are the, are the river bottom Rios, right? They're your Creek bottoms because in Colorado, like especially where I live, the Arkansas mm. river is a mile from where I'm sitting right now. Okay. And we've got population of Rio Grande birds there, but that's a, that's, that's a draw unit. So the cool thing is, is you can get a draw tag and then you can buy an over the counter tag and you can actually have two, two Colorado tags. Tags aren't real hard to draw, but most, all the mountain, let's put it this way. All the mountain units and Canyon land units that I hunt are over the counter. Okay. Anybody just show up and buy them at Walmart. Gotcha. So uh, the property that you're hunting is mm-hmm. is it property is it primarily public land or do you have public land that butts right up mm-hmm. to private you know I, no. kind of around that durango area you have some of those crop fields or what tell us about kind of the terrain and the features that you're hunting so where i'm at i'm, I'm not over by durango i'm actually over by on the other i'm in the southeast side so i'm over by uh la hunta okay which is just a little no-name map dot map dot <laughs> town yeah. southeast Colorado. um but, um, so no, I mean, I, my, my river bottom stuff is private stuff. Okay. I, I grew up, so I know a lot of farmers, so I have access to river bottom birds right here, but all, all but one little chunk of my Miriam stuff is all mountain birds, Canyon land birds, um, that sort of stuff. It's, it's totally public land and it, a, a lot of it is public that butts up to private. And I try to look for it. Something else you can think about is try to look for those private land areas where birds are spending their winter mm-hmm. because they're going to access that immediate national forest um, areas or BLM or whatever it is. Once those slopes start to start to the snow starts to melt out, they're going to come off of those private land areas and start to, you know, spreading out up into the mountains. Gotcha. So know where birds are concentrated during those winter months and and right now even our birds here are still pretty much in wintertime blocks they're just now starting to break up okay. um a little bit but you know if you know where they are and you can say okay here's you know there's a great chance to <laughs> use your hunt stand out man i mean you know you're you're looking at your app you're, you're, you're seeing areas and you're like okay these birds are really concentrated in this guy's cattle pasture. Well, this guy's cattle pasture is large and it butts up to about some south facing um, slopes that are gonna warm quickly, gonna get that snow melted off. That's probably where those birds are going to move towards as they start to spread out their rut and follow that snow line up the mountain. Gotcha. Yeah, I was gonna I was gonna ask that when you know, coming back to that whole wintering bird, like where, you know, y'all get some crazy (laughs) y'all get some crazy snowfall up you know especially in the mountains like how do these birds survive where do they go dude they're so tough um they're so tough and and honestly a lot of them will go i mean you can literally drive past a rancher's when i say rancher i mean i'm talking you know a guy up in a mountain valley let's just let's just say that up in a mountain valley you know he's having to push snow to even go feed his cat, drop them, hay, weed hay, oat hay, whatever, you know, just straight out bath of those types of things. Um, those birds will actually roost sometimes in that guy's yard because they're just flying up into whatever tree they, that they have access to around mm-hmm. there. Or they, or if he has some, you know, little, little creek, mountain creek bottom, you know, that, that sort of thing. Um, 
then they can fly into those pastures and they can dig through the cow crap, they, you know, peck at the leftover grain, any of that sort of stuff. Yeah. And that's really, really how they make it. Um, you know, but they're amazing because they're so nomadic and they're so opportunistic and later, you know, into April, middle of May, it's not uncommon to find a Miriam above 10,000 feet. God, I mean, that was my next question. I was like, how did, with this elevation. Yeah, they're going to go. They, they, they get up and go and walk and move and they, they'll really spread out. They're not afraid to get up there, um, into the, into the high country at all. Um, you know, I've never seen a bird, um, you know, I, I wouldn't say I've ever seen a bird over like 10, one, okay. um, that 10,000 is kind of the cap for them. Um, but they will, they will get up there. Um, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll get up there and roam around and, and, uh, you know, especially, you know, as the snow completely starts to dissipate and Mm -hmm. more ground opens up for them to access. What, what would you say is kind of the, the elevation zone, if you will, that, you Um, know, sweet spot for mountain birds. Yeah. Um, it's the sweet spot for mountain birds is going to be between, Oh, about seven and 9,000. Okay. Okay. That's, that's going to be your money zone, you know, um, Seven, seven to nine thousand um, is is where you're going to want to spend a lot of your time. You know, right now, you know those birds are, it, you know, about as low as they can get because we still do have, you know, our mountains, our mountain stuff has gotten hammered with some snow and things like that. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I, seven to nine thousand is a good is a good elevation line. But again, it. it so much of the early season stuff revolves around where that snow line is. Okay. So, you know, where that snow line is all the time. And, and, and people will say, like, well, how do I know that? You know, how do I know where the snow line is? How do I know where the snow line is? Man, call the National Forest Service office. They're everywhere out west. You just call them and say, hey, what, what elevation is your snow line at? Hmm. And I'd have to tell me, uh, I don't know. I've never had anybody ask that for me. But I can find out for you. And then they ask a guy that's out there, and that's pretty easy. You know, they – know where the snow line is. They've got maps and markers and indicators and they can tell you, hey, snow line, current snow line is at 6,200 feet, you know, in this area. That's about where the snow line is. Okay, okay well, you need to concentrate that 6,198 feet, <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, that area. So, yeah. with you being in Colorado, when it comes uh-huh. to, you know, you, you've got a lot of snow on the ground basically leading up to opening of turkey season so are you getting some boots on the ground where you're going to go hunting or you heavily relying on e-scouting like what's kind of your process before you go diving in man honestly for me you know most of these spots have been hunting for a very long time okay i don't i don't put near the boots on the ground as i used to but if you are able to, that is the best way. E-scouting for turkeys, western birds is 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 kind of hard. It just is. Um, it's not impossible because again, you can triangulate, right? Yeah. You can you know elevation of snow line. You can where private property is. You can know where south facing mountain slopes are. You can find you know long ridges with ponderosa pines or just you know ponies are their favorite but tall pines you know if there's no ponies in the area those sorts of things and, and you can start to piece stuff together yeah um you can start to piece stuff together but one of the best ways is just to take i mean if, if you have an area that looks good somebody committed an area you you think you're on to something on your mapping on on your on your hunting stand system you you think you're really on to something you know my suggestion is arrive at couple days early 
you know, and dedicate more time into scouting and less time into hunting. Because once you find them, you're going to kill them. I mean, yeah. and I, I don't lightly. I, it's true. I mean, if you if you are a good turkey hunter and you find birds, and they're not being pressured by other hunters, you're going to kill them. So again, the hardest part is often finding them. And you just have to be willing to burn some boot leather. And I mean, you really need to be able to burn some boot leather. Um, if there's spots that I have and, you know, people will say, oh, no, there's no way you did that for a turkey. Well, I love turkeys. Um, so so there's been people that I've taken that are like, oh, my gosh, you really did do that. You know, I've got a spot that's an 11 mile walk. And, and it's there's no other way to access it. There is zero way to access it. That was my next question for you. Is like, I was going to ask you. Like, now that's extreme, right? That is extreme. Don't don't get me wrong. I've killed mountain birds. I've killed mountain birds 200 yards off a four wheel access road. Yeah. I, I mean, I, that's that's the facts. But this spot, I know that I can go in there, and I'm going to be hunting turkeys that probably not seen another human since I was in there last time. Um, there's a few people that know where it's at, but the last time I was in there, um, which was, I didn't go in there this last year. Um, but I took, took my son in there the year before my daughter in there the year before myself and a really, really good friend. Mm -hmm. Um, and we killed four birds in there in four trips. Wow. So we made, and, 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 and it's silly. I mean, there was, I think there was 19 toms, um, nice. And yeah, I mean, so, you know, and they're just gobbling to beat the band. I mean, that's the time, you know, you, you can't do anything wrong. I mean, they're just going off in there. Um, so it's just the willingness to go, okay, this spot looks like it, you know, and, and you got to remember too, Marion birds are vocal. They're, mm -hmm. they, ha they have the weakest gobble of all the subspecies. I've talked to some NWTF biologists about this and they, they concur that, that, that the Marion bird though it's an extremely large bird because of where it lives, um, the it, it, vocality of that bird is, is not great, but they love to gobble. And so what you can do is a lot of times I just like to get up and access high points, um, put your locator calls to work. I like a hawk screech. I like something that screams when I'm locating birds out West. Okay. I mean, I want that is piercing because that mountain air will carry it, right? You, you, you have relatively low humidity in mountains. There's very little humidity most of the time, especially that time of year. And so your air is not super dense. So that call is going to, that, that, that's going to travel and it's going to get out there. And those birds can just hear it. And if you can get one to shock, or if you can up in an area, I'm like, oh my gosh, there's a turkey track here. There's a scratch here. There's a dropping here. I'll get the highest point that I can. And I'll just sit. Because I might have to sit for two, three hours. I might have to take a mountain house up there. Um, but eventually a bird's going to gobble. And I'm going to be able to pinpoint that. And then I can start Then I can start using my mapping system, right? Then I can be scouting while I'm actually hands-on scouting to start to triangulate the piece of the puzzle. Then I can figure out, okay, there's a ponderosa ridge here. That's a likely roosting spot. That bird, I glassed him up with my optics, which is another huge tip. Western hunters coming turkey hunting, best optics you can afford need to be around your neck. Um, you know, I just saw a bird strutting in a mountain valley. There's a good pondy ridge right here, lots of food in between. Now I can start putting the pieces of the puzzle together and I can then figure out how I'm going to kill uh, that bird or, you know, the birds that I'm, th that I'm seeing. All right, y'all, we're going to interrupt this podcast real quick, just to thank a few partners of ours. One of those partners we want to thank is Federal Ammunition. You know, it's federal season, and there's nothing louder than a gobble from a long beard that struts into range. 
or silence as complete as after you take the shot. Celebrate the ultimate right of spring with Federal. And next, we want to thank WorkSharp Tools. Sharpen every knife you own. These have been some great partners of ours, and they've supported us, and we just wanted to thank them and say we appreciate everything that they've done for us. But now we're going to get right back to this episode of the Hunt Stand Podcast. Gotcha. So kind of going back to that, you know, you've got this sweet spot where the, these birds are far in, right? Yeah. Are you yeah. are you putting camp on your back and going in, or are you coming back out every day? Um, in, in, in this particular spot, um, I am I am staying um, I, I will camp, but I have to access, uh, there's only certain locations within this area of BLM that you can camp. So <laughs> it's basically one of those deals where I'm going in and coming about halfway back out and actually having to get out of the area mm-hmm. and, um, and, and camp so I, so that I can camp legally. Okay. Okay. So when you're going in there, like on these, these far hikes like this, are you dragging, yeah. are you dragging decoys in with you, man? Um, so if if I'm bow hunting, um, now I used to, right. What I used to do is I used to, you know, I used to haul a double bull in there in February, right. Or March or as soon as I, as soon as I could, right. I I would get, I would get a double bull in there and I'd actually stash it and haul some, some decoys in there and stash those. So they were in there and I was like, man, this is too much. Mm. So I started doing was just going the bow mounted route. So now I take a bow mounted decoy. Um, in my pack, and I just run and gun those birds. Is okay. is what we do. Um, and if I'm and if I'm shotgunning, absolutely 100, we're reaping. I mean, that's what we're doing in there. Okay. Um, we're just going reaping mountain. We're reaping those mountain birds. Um, I'm usually the only one that bow hunts it uh, because everybody else is like, man, I ain't taking a bow arrow. When I see it, I want to kill it. We're taking a shotgun, and which yeah, I'm all about that too. But I, I like to bow hunt them in there and. and you know, when you get into a concentration of that many Miriam birds and they're getting after it pretty good, a uh, bow mounted decoy can just be super, super effective. And so that allows me to stay mobile, stay lightweight, not have to haul a blind, not have to haul decoys and all this extra gear. You know, it's a bow mounted decoy, some calls and, and I'm set. I like it, man. Uh, yeah. yeah stay, staying lightweight and just diving in, man. So, you know, I think pe- some people want to hear this too. Like, what's your camp setup mm-hmm. like? Are you are you dragging in one person tents, the, the jet boil route? Like, are you basically taking in the same setup that you are for elk? Yep, it's an elk hunt. I mean, and I've I read a lot of articles about it, but it, it is an elk hunt. And and you know, I, I spent too many nights early in my hunting career hunting elk, uh, sleeping in a coffin, which by that I mean a bivy sack. So now I I'll tote the extra weight, man. I'll take a two man tent. Um, if, if there's more of us, you know, I'll take a three or four man and we'll just spread out the weight between our packs. If I'm solo, um, or with my son or my daughter or something, I just pack in a two man tent, uh, super lightweight tent. Um, you know, our sleeping bag rolls, jet boil, mountain houses, um, you know, that, that sort of stuff, just, just the stuff that you would use if you were getting, okay, man, I'm going to a Western elk hunt here because in essence, that's what you're doing. Right. Um, yeah. and, and Another cool thing about it when you're hunting turkeys this way is you can find some really super sweet elk spots by by doing this uh, because you're out there and you're you're in territory where elk live and you know I found multiple deep canyons and um, cuts and ridges and benches and 
you know, drainages and things like that, that you end up walking through and you get in there, like you're not seeing elk, but you, there's a rub on every tree and there's massive beds and lots of old droppings and things like that. And so like, man, you pull out your map and, you know, you pull out your hunt stand app and you, you, you mark that up and now you start thinking, okay, pretty cool. I'm going to be back in here. I'm just going to check it in the fall. Yeah. You know, I'm going to come in here to see what it looks like. So you know, when you're out there doing that sort of stuff, that's, that's what I, that's what I love about doing it is, is, is you can serve so many purposes and, you know, they're a beautiful bird, they're white tipped, they, you know, they don't gobble super hard because their vocality isn't the best, but they gobble a lot. They're, mm-hmm. They will, you know, respond to calls well. And, uh, you know, the, the other thing that it really, it will help you be a better turkey hunter because it forces you to be out there all day. You know, it's, it's, it just forces you to do it. You know, I, I, see too many people turkey hunting that are, are like, man, well, I didn't get him off the roost. Didn't work, you know, and by yep. 8, 15, they're, they're out of there, you know, and I, for me, my best time to kill turkeys is between 10 and noon. That's just, that might be for me, but, uh, that's my best time. I mean, we were in Nebraska this last week and that's hunting, you know, private land, um, kind of river corridor repairing habitat birds. And, and I killed two birds and my buddy killed three. And all five of those birds were killed between 10 and 1102. Dang. Cause I, I mean, I document everything, you know? So it's like when you're, when, when you're hunting mountain birds and you're in deep, you, you don't have any choice. You're there. I mean, what are you going to do? Turn around and walk out and try to be back in there by, <laughs> you know, no, you're out there and you got to hunt. And, and I think it just, it, 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 it's helped me become a better hunter just in general. Yeah, man. I like that. I, I do. So I want to, I want to talk calling, you know, I've yeah. done, I've done, some podcasts here recently and talked with some other guys that depending on, you know, what subspecies they're hunting, where they're hunting, it'll depend on how aggressive they are, what they're calling or if they're going to play hard to get. So what's your style when you're attacking these Merriams in the mountains? So my style is, you know, a guy told me once, first time I ever hunted in Kansas, a guy told me, Hey man, deer calls were meant to be used in Kansas. Yeah. He's like those horns together. So I believe the same thing about mountain Merriams. Turkey calls were meant to be used in for mountain Merriams because they are they they will come and they will come so far. I mean, it's ridiculous how far a bird will come because if you're in an open like Canyonland type country or lower mountain country yeah. and you're running through glass, right? I mean. I've watched birds, I've called at birds and watched them gobble. I can't hear them, but I can see them throw the neck forward and hammer and come from five, 600 yards. I mean, that's ridiculous, but it's a fact. Um, And so, again, I do play on, okay, how are they acting, right? Like, if I'm in an area where when hens are really talking, if you're getting around hens and they're really vocal after coming off the roost or they fire up around nine o'clock, you know, toms are really gobbling. I don't think you can be too aggressive with Miriam birds. I okay. really don't. Okay. Um, I think in most cases, the more aggressive, the better. Um, now, again, the same, the same hold true though. You know, if you're, if you're out there and you know where birds are and it's like, man, you know, gobbled a couple times on the roost, hens, you know, you got some tree yelps, maybe, you know, got to fly down cackle or something like that. And then boom, zero. And, and they're, they're not talking a lot and they're not, well, you know, I kind of try to match that. Um, most, most instances, Miriam birds are very responsive to calling. Um, if, if, again, it all relates back to pressure too, you know, mm-hmm. if, if it's a spot 
these birds have had everything in the kitchen sink thrown in. Yeah. You know, um, maybe not so, but if you're hunting unpressured birds, man, and, and, and another tip I'll give when calling is don't, don't be afraid to get really loud. And when I say really loud, I mean really loud. I mean, don't be afraid to get a box call that just cuts, man, hammers and pierces. Because again, we want that sound to carry, right? We really want that sound to carry. And I've located so many birds that way. Um, Just getting up on a ridge or or a bench or, you know, a high spot and just letting that box call eat and, you know, get a bird to fire that may be is far off like what was that you know like when an elk bugle's like was that a bugle was that a gobble mm-hmm. and you sit there in it and yep that was for sure a gobble because when you get one usually to hit it that way he's gonna he's gonna and you stop he's gonna continue to to fire because he wants to know okay he's thinking the same thing well where are you i need a hint i'm way over here um so those are just some calling tips man gotcha so one of the kind of the funny things that i've heard with turkey hunting is that Turkeys don't uh, run downhill to a calls. Mm-hmm. Have you have you heard that mm-hmm. myth before? Yeah, I have. Would you say that that's totally debunked with these mountain birds? Um, to, to a degree, because they don't have a choice. A lot of times, the terrain is undulating, so it's it's so up and down, right? Yeah. So it, it, it kind of goes out. Though. I still would prefer a bird to have to come up to me. Yeah. Um. That that's. It, or if I can get on, that's why I like benches and ridges and stuff like that. If, if I can get on the same plane as them, kind of like an elk, you know, I'll, I'll parallel birds until I find the right terrain. Mm-hmm. Just kind of like I will an elk, you know, if I have to follow a group of birds and tail them and keep tabs on them as they move up, up, up a drainage or as move along a bench or a ridge line or something like that, I will until I get to a point where I'm like, okay, we're, we're on the playing field. I'm here. I know you're there, but you don't know I'm here. Now I'm going to start the game. Um, but yeah, I mean, don't be, don't think a bird won't come downhill. Just, you know, the thing about when they come downhill, you know, the big talk is, well, they have the advantage because they can see, and you, we both know how everybody knows how well turkeys see. So, if, if you are going to try to drag one and he's going to have to come down, um, I definitely would like, to, you know, a, a decoy set. If you're shotgun hunting, you know, a decoy set is, is probably super important for something like that. And if you're bow hunting, same. Um, but again, you can always, of course, go like I do with, with, the, with the bow mounted decoy. But yeah, I mean, I, I, I've, I've killed turkeys that have come downhill to me. I've killed Marion birds that have come downhill on a sprint. <laughs> you know, yeah. you can't get there fast because – they might not have a hen in, in, in four days. You know, they, they're, they're two-year-old, uh, two-year-old pair of two-year-old gobblers that have been kicked off of, of the main flock by the older birds, and they've really been pushed off. So they went walkabout, and they're, they got out in the wilderness, and they're like, crap, there's no hens here. I got to start working my way back, and you just happen to catch them out somewhere? That's happened to me a lot, Jeez. you know? And those, those birds are like, you know, they're, they're – <laughs> they're coming because that's why they let i mean you know they didn't want to leave that group they didn't want to leave those tins we're sick of getting the crap kicked out of them every day and having to deal with this so they were like well piss on it i'm gonna go walk i'm gonna go find my own group of hens well as it turns out there wasn't any hens over there now i'm four miles from the main flock and but wait a minute that was a that was a hen well it's true but you know you're using your hen calls and it's like boom you're in the chips that quick heck yeah heck yeah so one of the things i want to ask you you know, I'd say for the non-resident guy that wants to come uh-huh. hunt in Colorado, 
what yep. what is probably your best advice or best couple of pieces of advice for that guy that's wanting to come to Colorado and chase these mountain birds? Um, so the first, the first thing is that first year, right? The first time you come have low expectations and that's, I don't want anybody to hear that the wrong way. I don't mean not set goals because I am a big goal oriented person. Yeah. What I mean is having low expectations is it might take you one full hunt just to figure out, you know, think of how long sometimes it takes to figure out a, a, a 340 acre section of dirt. Yeah. You might be figuring out a 30,000 acre piece of, you know, whatever, where you, you need to first think about, okay, my goal in coming out here is I want to find some birds. I want to learn what these birds do and I want to find them where I'm at. And that, that is one of the biggest pieces of, of advice. You know, don't, don't come out with just the expectation that you're just going to come out here and hit a box call and the old, you know, well, Miriam are so stupid. They just come running. Um, if you get around them, possibly, but if you're not around them, so you need to be able to develop your system for finding birds. And then once you locate birds, again, you using your scouting hunt, scout more hunt less type of mentality and really, to hone in on what those birds are doing because if you find if you can string together a, a spots typically those spots will be turkey spots year after year after year so you know that first year you're coming out use it as a great trip to come out and say hey i'm gonna look for some shed antlers i'm gonna find me an elk spot i'm gonna find these turkeys hey maybe i'll kill one um but overall i'm using this as a development process to finding some Western spots where then I know that, Hey, the next year, man, I'm out there and I'm in the chips. You know, you might find a great spot with five hours left in your hunt and go oh, if I just had two more days, but you got to go back. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a great thing here. You know what I mean? So that's what I do when I have say lower expect, have lower expectations. Um, the other thing, and this is the most important one, you're going to have to go. And I mean, you got to get, you got to get off the beaten path in most instances. Like I said, I have killed a lot of birds, a lot of them, a hundred yards off an access road, driving a floor, driving my truck, get lucky, right? See some birds cutting across the ridgeline, going through a meadow, but the best turkey hunting I've had, the best spots that I have are all more than three miles off of an access road. All of them, every single one of them. So you have to invest some time into going into an area just to check it out and realizing, crap, I just walk through and this spot sucks. It's a ghost town. Okay, well, that's too bad. So sad. That's the way it is. Mm-hmm. Check that spot off the list and move to the next one. And relates to and you're going into that lower expectation deal because you, just like with elk, you're going to go to spots that you thought were going to be really something. Maybe a biologist even told you it was awesome or a friend told you, or you, you know, you struck up a conversation with somebody on social media, but you got in there and it was not what you were expecting. You can't dwell on it. You just have to go, okay, well, three miles back to the truck and another four miles up the trailhead. And I'm walking another two miles into my next spot. You know, you just kind of have to have that mentality. Got it. So yeah, the, what I'm hearing is, man, it's, it's super, super similar to doing an elk hunt out there. You know, there's lots of similarities. It is. It's a, they're, it's a feathered elk. <laughs> I mean, when you think about it, they're vocal. 
Um, and a lot of people always say, ah, you, you actually comparing turkey hunting to elk hunting? Absolutely. I, I hunt them the same way. I hunt them the same way. Um, and I, I've got a lot of good buddies that, that, are, that are Western elk killers. Um, I mean, these guys that are, you know, 10 percenters, they're getting it done every year on public land on elk. Mm-hmm. And they'll tell the thing. They'll say, man, when you go hunt mountain turkeys, you hunt them like you hunt elk. So when you do start to kill mountain turkeys, it's like a gateway drug for 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 the west i mean you come out and you you, you start seeing Merriam's birds come out and you know spend that seven eight hundred whatever ridiculous amount we're charging now for for an tag and come out and try your hand at that because you're going to find some spots you're going to develop some ideas and theories and things like that and then you can go put those ideas to practice you know um it's just uh yeah it's, it's a great opportunity it's a great opportunity for any hunter love it man well, you got any other kind of last golden nuggets, any special secret sauce recipes you want to share with the listeners on mountain birds? Yeah. Um, something else to keep in mind, uh, don't overlook, don't overlook, uh, foothills <clears throat> either. Uh, don't over, you know, Colorado's got a lot of foothills. When I say foothills, I mean more like cedar country, right? Less, less pines, more meters, um, and, and pinion. Uh, pinion is a pine, but it's a, it's a different type of pine. But um, look for those cedar countries, you know, pinion pine, uh, canyony type country is <clears throat> can be really good. You know, we got a lot of like real deep canyons that have, even if they're dry creeks running through them, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of times you can narrow your search on where birds are going to be because they're going to be somewhere along that you know, trickle of a creek or a dry creek, you know, um, the roosting sites are limited. So if you can you know, in on your maps and find the pot or find the cottonwoods, um, that's where your birds are going to be roosting. It kind of convinces things for, for people a little bit. Um, so that's one, that's one thing, you know, don't just, don't just think about, you know, mountains entirely. Um, and <clears throat> the other one is if you are going to do, um, if you're going to think, you know, you think, Hey man, I'm, I'm going to have to camp. I'm going to have to spend some time out there. Um, don't, don't make it uncomfortable. That's just one tip I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to give. I, I've done too many elk hunts. I've done too many Western turkey hunts where I'm just like, I made it super uncomfortable. And what, what I mean by that is I food selections sucked, right? Yeah. I, I mean, my food selection sucked. I didn't take, uh, I didn't take a little blow up, um, or self inflatable, mattress pad um i i went the bare minimum on my sleeping bag froze to death because it's still 12 degrees up there in some places at night um you know plan your gear accordingly yeah and then you be comfortable and when you're comfortable and you're well fueled and by well fueled i mean you're eating well you're taking in a lot of calories because you're going to burn a lot of calories mm-hmm. you're taking in you know three two to three thousand calories a day because you're going to be burning that easily in most instances and you're replacing it with good protein, good carbohydrates, um, you know, lots of water. Um, you're you're just gonna feel better, and you're, you're gonna be up there, and you're because it's easy to get out there and get discouraged very quickly. Be like, there isn't a bird within miles, and I'm, I've been out here for two days, and I'm tired, and this sucks. And it's like, well, I'm gonna go. And you just, you know, if you can, if you can take and be comfortable, and even if it causes you a little extra weight. Um, to tote, uh, comfort, comfort in a lot of instances is key to being successful in my opinion. 
Yeah. Man, it's it's funny that you're saying this because uh, I went elk hunting this past September up in Colorado. And yeah. the, the guys that I went with, um, you know, they were making fun of me when I was packing up. We were putting our packs together at base camp. We were going to go spike camp in. And uh, they're like, man, why are you taking all that stuff? You know, I had my zero degree bag. I had my inflatable yeah. mattress pad. I had enough food. I, I made sure that, you know, I had I had the bare necessities that I would still be comfortable, but not be miserable. And one of the guys didn't take, take a sleeping bag. The other one didn't take a inflatable pad cause he wanted to cut on a uh, cut on weight. Uh-huh. And it was funny. Yep. You know, we set up our camps, we ate dinner that night and we woke up the next morning. There's frost everywhere. It was just one of those cold mountain mornings. And I wake up, I got condensation on the inside of my tent. You know, it was nice warm bundled up and, I get, I step outside and they're huddling around this little fire. I'm like, dang, what's wrong? I was like, oh man, I froze my ass off last night. I'm like, oh, uh-huh. uh, you did. <laughs> well, I bet you did. Well, guess what? I sweat my ass off last night. <laughs> so that's right. Man. That's right. And you're getting better sleep. You're sleeping more, you yeah. know, and, yep. and all that goes back to being able to stay out there and make good decisions and have clarity and not be miserable and you know because things will start to tug on you you know it's it's really you it gives you that edge yes for sure it does no question sweet well man i i think we may have kind of opened up a little can here a can of worms on mountain birds because like i said you don't hear about people you know when people talk about colorado they're talking about elk and mule deer, and I don't think you hear it much on turkeys and so that's why i wanted to do this podcast with you is is to talk talk turkey hunting talk to mountains because everybody's always talking south southeast birds and i think we may have opened up a can of worms here man no i i you know one thing i tell guys all the time you know and there's were you trying to create more competition and i said at the start i I had too many people help me i had too many people point me in the right direction um too many people you know share some spots with me things like that to help me be successful and i wouldn't be hunting those people so you know i'm always open to you know here's the here this is a fact is that Colorado has more turkeys than it does turkey hunters. That's a fact. Um, so keep that in mind, you know, um, you know, it's, it's, it, we have good numbers of birds and, and that's the way it is across the West. I mean, Montana, Wyoming, Idaho, you know, a lot of your Western States are, are turkey rich. And, um, you know, so yeah, it's, it's just another opportunity to get out there, chase another subspecies, lots of public land. Um, and, and you can really get out there and have some fun. Heck yeah, man. I think, Definitely going to have to put this on the list, the hunt list here, in addition to all the many other hunts I want to try and do before before I get Absolutely. too old. Absolutely. <laughs> well, man, I really appreciate you hopping on the podcast with me today, talking turkey, turkey hunting, and uh, man, I know we're going to get you back on here. We're going to talk big game and elk later on in the year, but man, just appreciate you taking the time to hop on with me. Anytime, bud. Thanks for having me. You bet. And there you have it, everybody. Another end to another Hunt Stand podcast episode. We just want to thank Jace for hopping on the podcast, talking mountain turkeys with us, going down some rabbit holes, and trying to figure out this whole public land turkey hunting thing. You know, it's it's unfamiliar to me. I'm a Texas boy, and so I was really happy to get to be able to pick Jace's brain on this. But nonetheless, we just want to thank all y'all for tuning in to the Hunt Stand podcast, and we will see you on the next one.